0: Turn your Bible, please, to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Let's remember Brother Buster Jordan in prayer. He is sick, cannot be with us today. The fighting of the fires all week and and all night last night just almost overwhelmed him. Let's pray for God's hand of healing in his life. Let's pray for our firemen and our policemen and others that serve in these places of danger, responsibility. We're continuing the theme tonight on personal soul winning. And in Psalm 126, 5 and 6, you might say the heart of soul winning or the soul winner's verse is this passage. May we have a word of prayer together. Our Father, we ask you to guide us as we think together tonight on this theme. May we be led by the Holy Spirit. We join together in thanking you for every blessing, for your protective care in this past week. We pray together for the victims of the earthquake, for those who are homeless, those who have been battered and scarred by the crisis times there, both physically and psychologically and spiritually. We pray for those in our own city who have experienced tragedy and hurt during these past days. God help them. And we pray that we will recognize these as open doors to go through See people come to know the Lord Jesus. I ask it in His name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 126 is one of the great little passages in the Bible. I want to read all six of those verses. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the nations, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, like the streams in the desert. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There are three elements of this chapter. I'm not going to dwell on it tonight. I'd like to just give you that brief outline. In verses one to three, there was praise when the Lord turned again the captivity. That is, they'd been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. When God turned that, there was joy, there was praise. They were singing thanksgiving to God. It's like the praise hymns we sing because we've been redeemed and saved by the blood of the Lamb. We sing a song sometimes, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I shall never forget. Heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. And we sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And on and on. I have a song I love to sing. It's the song of the redeemed. And that's what they were saying. When the Lord turned again the captivity, we were brought back to our homeland. There was joy and praise. And then, in the second section, beginning in verse 4, there was a prayer. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, like the streams in the desert. Now, some believe that this psalm was written before the captivity was over. And it was a prophecy of how they would feel when when the captivity was turned around and they went back which causes the psalmist to give that psalm of of prayer in verse four, when he says, Lord, turn again our captivity. Like the streams in the desert. In other words, we've had a parched time. We've had a famine time. We've had a tough time. And just like the streams come in the desert, when the famine is over and when the dearth is over and the water comes again and there's rejoicing, Lord, that's what we want. Now spiritually when you apply this, you understand those last two verses. Because we all go through dry times. I don't know whether any of you remember Dr. Charles Stovall. Dr. Stovall was one of the great men of our city years and years ago. He was a member of First Baptist Church And he led a group to start the mission called Emmanuel, and then later Andrew. And Dr. Stovall was used by God to start missions. I have in my possession the chair he used in his office. He gave it to me before he died. But Dr. Stovall used to say, and I'd go see him once in a while, he would say, Preacher, there are dry seasons and there are wet seasons. He said, there are seasons when you sow and you don't seem to reap. You go soul winning and nobody gets saved. In the churches, you pray for people to come to Christ and you seem to go through a dry season when nobody comes. He said, sometimes God lets that happen to give us a hunger for the time when the famine is over. A desire when that dry season is over. So we'll be able to rejoice when the wet season comes again. Now we might equate that to a family that's had a tough time and they've not been able to afford any ice cream or cake. They eat uh, beans and potatoes and greens and uh, once in a while a hamburger And that's about it and then the ship comes in or they get a bonus or like in the old days and I'm not in favor of raising tobacco but the farmers would sell their tobacco and they'd have money to buy the food with and then they'd be able to go and get some chicken or they'd go get some ice cream and cake Now, if you had ice cream and cake all the time, you wouldn't appreciate it. But if you don't have it very often, what a blessing it is. Now, that's what he was saying. Dr. Stovall is saying there are times when the Lord tests us to see what we're made of spiritually. To see if we really have that burden for souls so we keep on keeping on. He says if we'll keep at it and go on and on and on at it, we'll doubtless... Come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Notice those verses. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Now, sometimes the tears are tears of compassion. Sometimes they're tears of famine. Sometimes they're tears of dearth. I don't know that America has ever known real, real famine. Other lands have known it. I'm not sure we have. We've known depression. We've known the years of war, but the years when there was, were no crops at all. Sometimes our area can be arid, and we have no rain, and the farmers have a tough time. But we have all these trucks and trains and planes that bring in the supplies. And though the prices go up, we can go to our grocery stores and buy eggs and meat and bread and all the things we need. There are some places in the world that can't do that. And when you've been through a famine time and then that famine is over, oh, what a joy it is. So he's saying spiritually, when there are people who have compassion over lost men and women and boys and girls, and you seem to sow, but you don't reap, it's a dry season. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy when the reaping time comes, when the harvest time comes. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. Notice he that goeth forth and weepeth. Some take this to mean that the person is so filled with compassion that he has the compassion of tears. There's certainly room for that in this passage. All of you have heard of the uh, man who started the Salvation Army, Booth, and his wife. And they started it in England, and they started stations all around the world. And one day, Mr. Booth received a telegram from Australia, and the telegram read, There's no harvest. What shall we do? He knew what that meant. He was, meant there was nobody being saved. Salvation Army used to be a soul-saving station. It's become somewhat a little different uh, stress today. But it used to be, and its origin was a soul-winning program, a soul-saving station. And when that word came, there, there's no harvest. That meant there's nobody being saved. What shall we do? The founder of the Salvation wired back, Salvation Army wired back two words. Try tears. Try tears. In other words, try weeping over those people that won't get saved. Ask God to give you compassion in your heart for the lost, for those who are without God. I thank the Lord for Dr. Gordon. I've mentioned him a number of times in the pulpit recently I love him in the years gone by he and I've made a number of soul-winning visits he reminded me of this the other night when we were out soul-winning of a visit we made years ago to a family that lived not far from our church we had been to see them over and over and over again and he and I went again that night to talk to that family and that man about the Lord We got the same response, not now, not now, just when when, when it's time, I'll get saved, but not now, not tonight. We left with tears in our eyes. It hurt, he and I both, tears. I'm glad to say, he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless That very man a few months later came and walked down the aisle surrendering his heart to Jesus. He's in heaven today. They that go forth in tears shall reap in joy. But sometimes those tears are not as much of compassion. Maybe it's partly compassion, but sometimes they're tears because we've gone a long time and haven't seen anybody saved. Has that ever happened to you? You've gone for a while. You've witnessed. You've tried to be faithful. And you didn't see anybody get saved. Lift your hand if that's ever happened to you. Yeah. Those are the dry seasons. Those are the dry seasons. What do you do? Do you just quit? You just decide, well, I'm not an effective soul winner. I'll let somebody else try that. I just won't do it anymore. That's what some do. They just drop out. Remember, there are going to be dry seasons. But this promise says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth. If the tears are compassion, praise the Lord. If the tears are concern, thank God. If the tears are a warning that somebody's on, about to go to hell, thank God. But sometimes those tears are a little bit We might call them selfish. They're discouragement, tears. We say, Lord, I've tried and tried and tried, and I'm about to give up. The folks aren't getting saved. What shall I do? We have God's promise. And I want you to underline it in your Bible. He that goeth forth and weepeth, regardless of where the tears come from, whether they're tears of compassion whether they are tears of joy that God has allowed us to share in His wonderful ministry of soul-winning, whether there are tears of despair or discouragement, if we'll keep at it, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, what is the precious seed? The wonderful word of God. We mentioned in training union tonight there's a difference between witnessing and soul-winning. Everybody is a witness every day. We either witness for the Lord or we witness against him. A smile can be a witness. A frown can be a witness. A curse can be a witness. How in the world could you witness per cursing? Were you witnessing for the devil? You're just showing that God didn't have the strength in your life that he ought to have. And of course it's a negative witness. Taking clothes to somebody where there's been a fire is a good witness. Taking food to somebody where there's been a death is a good witness. We witness all the time, every day. Everyone in this room witnesses all the time. Some of it is a good witness. Some of it is a poor witness. But we witness all the time. And the good witnesses are those who filled with God's love and God's light through Jesus are magnifying Christ wherever they go and thank God for them. We're to do that as you go witness. That's what we're told in Luke chapter 24. You're witnesses of these things. But now wait a minute. Soul winning is a little bit different. Soul winning is where we purposely set some time aside and say, I'm going to see Chris. I'm going to see Ron. I'm going to see Miss Smith. I'm going to see Miss Jones. God's put them on my heart, and I want to see them saved and we sit down with them and with the Bible or a New Testament we turn from page to page and we show them both by our own testimony and by the testimony of the word of God how God saved me and what he's done for me to do for you how we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you like to be saved tonight? The other night, Brother Johnny and I were out witnessing and soul winning, visiting. And we had a number of visits, wonderful visits. Went to this one home and there was just joy already there. They were glad to receive us, precious family. They had a great big dog. And I'll tell you, I love big dogs. If you're going to ever have a dog, have a big one. And they had this great big dog, and he was so friendly. He did look like he could, could eat you up, but he came over and licked you up instead. And we just had a wonderful time hugging the dog and so on. And there was a 13-year-old boy there. And I had, uh, I had noticed him before. I had witnessed to him. I'd had a funeral in their family some months ago. And I'd witnessed briefly to him at the funeral and a few other times. But this particular night, God said, you ought to talk to him. And so while we sat there, right in front of everybody, usually it's ideal to talk to somebody personally, by by themselves, but right in front of everybody, the whole family, I said to that fellow, let me talk to you a minute. He came over there. I said, would you mind if I show you from the Bible how to be saved? He just looked at me and said, no, I wouldn't mind. And so I turned from page to page like I just did and showed him these wonderful verses. And then I said, uh, you know, there's a difference between a wage and a gift. I said, a wage is something you earn. I said, if I ask you to go out and sweep my walk and get the snow off my walk, and I said, I'll give you some money for it, that would be a wage, you'd be earning it. But I said, if I wanna just give you something and I hold it out here to you, what do you have to do to get it? He looked at it He said we'll just take it I said well you don't have it yet He reached out and took it I said now that's exactly What it means to be saved First of all You had to want it Secondly You had to make room in your hand for it If you had other stuff You were petting the dog You had to put the dog aside You had to make room for it And then thirdly You had to receive it Now fourthly you need to use it. That won't be much problem with him, I don't think. That's the way it is to be saved. That's what soul winning is. Soul winning is different from just a witness. Soul winning is going with the intent of trying to reach somebody and tell them how to be saved and come to Christ. And then the joy and thrill. That young boy prayed with me right in front of all the family. He asked the Lord to forgive his sins and to save him. And Jesus came into his heart. I saw him later in that that same night before we left, I didn't know he was doing this. I, I just went into the, he'd gone into the kitchen. I went in there, just shake hands with him. And he had that dollar bill out and he was writing on it the date. And that's the night he gave his heart to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful, right on that dollar bill, I guess. He's, and then he said to his, his sister-in-law, I think it was, or I don't know who it was, one of his relatives, He said, would you keep this for me? And she said, no, you keep it in your Bible. Isn't that beautiful? Listen, I want to tell you, they're out there. They're like oranges ready to be picked. They're like apples ready to be picked. But we have to go after them, and we have to have that commitment and concern in our heart that cares for them. Now turn your Bible to Acts chapter 20. And let me uh, just uh, close with this thrust from Acts chapter 20. Listen to it a moment. This is a part of the message I brought last Sunday night, this, this text. But it has to do with tears. Beginning in verse 19, beginning in verse 20, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shown you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except the Holy Spirit witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await for me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy." And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I testify unto you that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. Look in verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that for the space of three years I cease not to warn every ni- everyone night and day with tears." Now beloved, how could Paul be free from the blood of all men in Ephesus? He spent three years there. He didn't spend very long in any city. The shortest place I think he spent was in Thessalonica where he spent three weeks. But he spent three years in Ephesus. And when he was ready to say farewell, I won't see you anymore. You'll never see my face on earth anymore. He said, I'm pure from the blood of all men. And the reason I'm pure is because I ceased not day and night publicly and in the synagogue and the place of worship and everywhere I went with tears, I pressed upon people the claims of Christ. I wonder if we're gonna do that in 1994. We're almost through January. How many of us have really tried this month since 1994 began to sit down beside someone and lead them to know Jesus? The reason we need to do this is for for three reasons. Number one, because there's a terrible hell out there at the end of the journey. Those who do not know God will spend eternity separated from God in hell forever and forever and forever. You say, well, do you believe in hell? Friend, I pray that this won't be an academic belief with me or you. But if we're going to believe in heaven, we'll have to believe in hell. All we know about heaven is what Jesus said and all we know about hell is what Jesus said. How could we ever take what Jesus said about heaven and neglect what he said about hell? He warns us. And if there is no hell out at the end of the way, and if it does not burn with fire and brimstone, I'm gonna say, Lord, I preached and taught and told people what you said in your word. I believed it. And that's what I preach to you tonight. And that's why I go and try to reach people for Christ, because there's a hell out there at the end of the way. I've stood by too many caskets of people who died without faith in God and seen their loved ones gather around and say, Goodbye, I'll never see you again. I'm glad I didn't have to say that to my mother. Amen. When Data Vaughan died this summer, wonderful, victorious Christian, 98 years old, I'm so glad we didn't have to stand her casket and say, Goodbye, Miss Vaughan, I'll never see you again. We didn't have to say that. Amen. She said, Good night here and good morning up there. Amen. But I've stood by caskets where people stood by and said goodbye, I'll never see you again. And they meant it because that man or woman went to hell. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. And he saw Abraham afar off and said, Abraham, won't you send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, I am tormented in these flames. And the voice came back from the other world, son, remember that in your lifetime you had the opportunity but you didn't come. So we need to go because of hell. Secondly, we need to go because of heaven. Oh, what a wonderful place heaven is. We sang about it. We talk about it. We think about it. The Bible has a lot to say about heaven. We sing the holy city. We sing how beautiful heaven must be, the quartet tonight. We sing, I will meet you in the morning by the eastern gate. We talk about heaven, how beautiful it is. No weeping no sighing, no crying, no dying, no pain, forever. How could you possibly be headed for that wonderful Emmanuel's land and not want to take somebody with you? We want to take others. And then last of all, not only because there's an awful hell and because there's a wonderful heaven, but because if there were no heaven or hell, life here is more exciting with Jesus wonderful to know the Lord it's a joy unspeakable and full of glory to be able to know that our sins are forgiven we have a clear conscience before God and man and we can enjoy having the strength of the Holy Spirit in our lives you know I feel so sorry for people that don't have Jesus in their lives now believers you're gonna be patient with me a minute cuz you know I like the snow and the ice but don't be, even no matter how you feel about ice or snow, don't be like those people that are scared to death about the ice and the snow. I don't believe God wants us to be afraid of anything. We need to respect it. I respect the ice. I keep two car lengths between my car and anybody else. Always, in the ice and snow. Do that. When I get ready to stop, I put, it down the, I break, put the gear down instead of the brake. I gear it down and then just gradually slow down. It's my habit. I was coming down 11th Street the other day down toward Covington. I didn't know that there was solid ice there and there was a policeman waiting over in the park to see who slid through the street. Car right in front of me came up over there and just slid right down in the street. Well, I'm not bragging or anything. I'm just telling you, you don't have to do that. You you can do that if you want to. I like to slide in the snow. Certain places, my car's fixed so you can't do donuts out here anymore. But when I got up on that little ridge, I just had the gear down, and I just coasted right down there. Didn't have any problem at all. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of anything. Fear is an awful thing that puts icicles all around you and squeezes out your joy. And when you give your heart to Jesus, he takes away the fear. You don't have to be afraid of anybody or anything except A wonderful, wholesome fear of God. And I want to tell you, if you're not saved here tonight, you're only half alive. If you're not saved, there's an awful hell out there. And you're going to miss the wonderful joys of heaven. And in addition to all that, you're missing the most exciting life you could ever have the exciting life of being saved, being a Christian. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory when you're saved and you can smile. We used to sing a little song. I haven't heard it for years. Happy all the time, happy all the time. Praise the Lord, I'm happy all the time. And I don't know the rest of it. (laughs) But you know when you're saved, you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And on the darkest, darkest of days, they're a lot brighter than the days were before you gave your heart to Christ. So with those things in mind, Let's ask God to make us soul winners in 1994. And if you're here tonight and you've never given your heart to Jesus, trust him as your savior. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful night and the way our hearts have been blessed with the wonderful music and the testimony that Phil gave us a while ago and all the joy of just knowing Jesus. Lord, (coughs) set our footsteps this week to find somebody who's without Christ and may they come to know Jesus. We ask it in his name, amen. May we stand, please. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Number 361, will you turn there as Brother Lloyd comes to lead us? 361, this is God's invitation. Now listen, if you're not sure you're saved, if you're not sure that Christ is in your heart, come tonight. You may be a little child, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're a big man or a woman. Would you come to Christ and just say, Lord, I want Jesus to be real in my life.